Let's get rolling. We're going to pick up from last week. We've been in the series, The New Man. And to, today, I, I mean, this is something that has been on my heart for several years. Um, man, you guys hear me talk about the Word so much and how, the importance of it and stuff. And, and I can't stress that enough. And, and, you know, listen to Janet. She's been teaching through Daniel on, uh, on Sunday mornings and, and whatnot. And we're going through the, the, the lean years and the years of plenty. You know, there was a time in this country where we were in years of plenty when it came to the Word. And now we're in a time of famine when it comes to the Word. We've got starving Christians that are so emaciated that they can't hardly act and they can't even, they don't know right from wrong. And it's something that is really causing a major problem because you hear, you get Christians on both sides of the aisle, whatever political thing is going on, it's like, how does that make any sense? Because either they're both wrong or one of them is right. There is no in-between. They can't both be right. On opposite ends of different truths, you can't have two opposing truths be both correct. So how does that happen? It only happens because we don't know the Word. The body of Christ today is starving because they don't know Scripture. I have friends that are pastors that are all over this country. Um, Some of them are really, really good Bible teachers. Man, they get into the Word. They bring truth out all the time, and I love it. I've got other ones, guys, that it's like I listen to their sermons, and it's just like that is... All they're trying to do is make you feel good. You can only live like that for so long. You really can't. I mean, it's like Tony Robbins, who's a motivational speaker. And the people go to him and what? They feel uplifted and energized and all of that. But if you take that, once you leave, you've got to put that into practice or it's going to do you no good. And the problem that we have today is we get into church and we get these sermons that, that energize us and excite us and, and we are more than enough and God is bigger than all our problems and, and what is your Goliath and how are we going to take him down? And we feel energized, but there's no substance there and we don't know how to put the things into practice because we don't know how to rightly divide the word. All we know is, oh, the Bible says so and I don't know why I believe this, but it's in there somewhere and all of this other stuff. Guys, we have a starving generation that has grown up in the church. We have young people that are so confused that they don't know which way is up because they're more influenced by culture. The problem is that the church today has become the thermometer and it needs to be the thermostat when it comes to cultural issues. And there was a time in this country in which it was. There was a time in this country where people looked to the pastors of the community as the moral guidelines, like, what do we do? If you ever saw the movie Footloose, why didn't they do any dancing? Because the pastor didn't like it. I don't know if that's based off a true story or not, but it's a good movie. Anyway. (laughs) But think about it. But there was a time like that. Why? Because these guys were typically grounded in the Word, and they would tell the difference between right and wrong, and they would, even if you weren't a Christian per se, there was still a respect for the office of the pastor and the things of God. There was a fear of the Lord that is no longer in existence today. We have young people who grow up in the church that are affirming all sorts of different things that are anti-biblical. Christians, young ladies growing up in the church, moving in with their boyfriends the second that they get out. Why is that? They don't see anything wrong with it. Why? Because everything they see in this world is that's encouraged. I mean, they'll throw things out like, yeah, maybe I want to marry her, but would you ever... Buy a car without test driving it? I would hope you ladies that wouldn't make you feel good. I mean, this is the world that we live in, and the reason it is is because we're not grounded in truth. We have no foundation of which we are built upon. So, let's get back to what we've been talking about. The one saying that, did God really say? 
In Genesis 3, we see that when he, the serpent is talking to Eve. He said, did God really say that you can't eat of that tree? And of course, she said, well, he said this, but he knows what's going to happen when you do. It's okay. You're going to be just like him. Do you know that all of our desires is to be just like God? Maybe not Yahweh God, but a God of our own. I mean, we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar. builds a giant statue, likely of himself. Right? Everybody's going to bow and worship it. And we all do that in one way or another. You know one of the main gods today is the god of sports? We're so hung up on sports. Do you realize that when it comes to a child's upbringing in this country today, they don't have an option of whether they're going to go to practice. I know you may not feel like it, but you're going to practice. You know what is optional? Church. That we put sports in front of the things of God. So why would we be surprised when these young people grow up and they have no respect for the things of God, no fear of the Lord, they're not interested in going to church? That the average person today considers them a full-time church member if they make it two out of four Sundays every month? I mean, there was a time in life where you didn't miss two Sundays a year. And, and I'm not talking like church, like you have to be here or you're not a Christian. That's not what I'm saying at all. My point being is the things of God have gone off to the side and everything else has taken its place. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, we read this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Remember that word wiles. It's methodos. It's the methods of which He comes. So put on that armor so that you can stand against the method of which He attacks you. As we've discovered in the last couple of weeks, we look at this as where does He attack? He attacks our minds. That is the road of which He chooses to operate. He comes down through, and so He gets us thinking unlike God. In other words, He says, did God really say? I mean, let's put it this way. I told you about young people moving in together. It's it's pretty much uh, par for the course. It's very common today. Did God ever say that that part is a sin? Well, you see, Jesus didn't say that we couldn't live together before marriage. He didn't say that. Well, you're right. He didn't say that, but we all know what goes on. Well, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. Yeah, he may not have used those words, but he's pretty clear. Did God really say that? Well, Jesus said you shouldn't judge. Haven't you all read Matthew 7? I was telling Diana this, and, and the boys back here know this one too, but, but I actually, I, I've used this against some young people and things like that, and I was having a conversation at Hastings College. I was on their campus. Um, I spent a lot of time there. It is amazing how dumb young people can be that are going to for higher education. I'm like, y'all need to start with lower education. We'll get to the higher parts later. Like, it was bad. Anyway, and so they asked me my opinion. It's like, well, what do you think about homosexuality? I'm like, well, I'm not really into it, but thanks, you know. And, and, and she said, well, do you think it's a sin? I was like, it doesn't matter what I think. It's what does the Bible say? Well, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. I'm like, yeah, he never used those words, but there are several things he talked about and was very clear on what was right and what was wrong. I said, there's no way to do that. You have to twist the scriptures. I said, you know who else did that? Satan. And he's like, well, you're just too judgmental. You really shouldn't judge people. And I looked her straight in the eye. I said, how dare you judge me for judging them? (laughs) That was the end of the conversation. Because we're so dumb. We're not grounded in anything. We're grounded in what feels good. I've told you guys this before, but you guys know what the single commandment is in the Satanic Bible. Do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. 
Now, what does that sound like? If it feels good, done. Do it. I actually just happenstancely, one of my former students, I, I, she sent me a, she's getting married, and sent me a Facebook message, you know, wanting my address to send the invitation to and all of that kind of stuff. And um, I happened to go reading stuff from many years ago that I didn't even know was still there. I mean, apparently I don't delete anything. And so it's all still there. And it was a conversation about a young lady who had come to our church and said, I love the church, but I felt so judged when I was there. Now, that's a common thing, an excuse. But she said, I felt so judged while I was there. I only want to be judged by God. And I'm thinking, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because he's going to judge. That's why we're telling you this stuff now. So you can avoid that. You see, the enemy gets in here and starts talking to us and getting in our head, saying, hey, it's okay, you can do that. Nobody will see. Did God really say? And then he convinces us to look at the Scripture and say, God, I know this is what you said, but let me tell you what you meant. Because obviously you didn't know. Like we tried to, to tell Jesus exactly what he meant to say. There was another thing. You guys know about the separation of church and state, right? And I think I've talked about this before, but if I haven't, there is no word separation church or state in the Second Amendment of the Constitution. It comes from a letter from Thomas Jefferson written to the Danbury Baptist in 1801. Because they were concerned back then, you kind of had a license as a denomination, that they were going to be thrown out because Baptists were a little fringe back then, or considered fringe. They were a newer one in the area. And were concerned that the government was going to say, nope, y'all got to be Methodist, y'all got to be Lutheran, whatever. And so his response to him right after he was elected president, he said, y'all don't need to worry about this four-page letter because there is a wall of separation between church and state, implying that, um, that the government will never tell you what denomination you have to be. Okay? Now, I like how they say church and state, but they always say just religion, whatever religion you want to be. Do you know what the only religion that has a church is Christianity? Anybody ever thought about that? Maybe I'm alone. Okay, squirrel. There we go. Anyway, so this has has gone to court every single time. So what they started to do finally over the last probably 10 or 15 years is that they will bring the letter from Thomas Jefferson in, and they'll say to the judge, you say, look, Read the whole of the letter. This is the context. And many times they win. They will win on the arguments saying, realizing that that is what we think it means is not what it means. But there was one judge that stood up there and says, well, okay, this tells me one of two things. That either the founders who wrote the Second Amendment didn't understand the separation of church and state, or they were being malicious. So basically, the guys that wrote it didn't understand what they wrote. Let me try this side. The guys that wrote it didn't understand what they wrote. How stupid is that? Right? I know this is what you said, but let me tell you what you meant. You see, this is how the enemy gets in. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. If they're not, then why do we keep fighting that way? Why do we always turn to natural means? But they're mighty in God. What are they mighty in God for? They pull down strongholds, they cast down arguments, and they get rid of every high thing that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. Who God is, what He's done, why He's done it, and how much He loves us. That's all the knowledge of God. Would a loving God judge sin? He'd have to if He's just. He has to. There's no choice. 
We bring every thought into captivity against the obedience of Christ. You see, that's the whole thing of what we're talking about here, is that the knowledge of God is what, this, what the enemy is attacking against. Did God really say that? That's why we put on the helmet of salvation. But we have a weapon. When you study out all of the armor, there is one single solitary weapon. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And what is the word for? We see in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerner of thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, it gets in there and separates God's idea from your really bad ones. Because if your ideas don't line up with God, then your ideas are wrong. When I sit down and counsel somebody, the first thing I always do, I set this Bible on my desk, on the table, across from whatever. I said, do you agree that this thing is the final authority in our lives and whatever it says goes? If the answer is no, we shake hands and that's the end of it. If the answer is yes, then good, we'll continue on. Because what I have to say as far as how you should handle the situation or what you should do is of no merit if it is not founded in something bigger than myself. Because then it's an opinion. And you know what opinions are? Well, let's put it this way. Everybody has them. They're kind of like armpits. Everybody has them. Some of them stink. We have to get past this. We've got to be grounded in something. We need a foundation of the Word of God. We need to get rid of this emaciated Christianity where we strip down the gospel. We don't talk about sin. We don't talk about judgment because we just want people to come. If you're more concerned about the pe- how many people sit in these chairs next to you than how many people truly give their heart to Christ, then your motives are wrong. You're missing the point. I mean, if you guys remember when we got here, there were 17 people, Right? And I was thrilled to death with those 17 people. You know why? Because there were people who had a heart for the Lord and they wanted the things of God. And I told God, I said, I don't care if anybody else ever comes. If we're doing the mission you've called us to do and we're reaching the lost and we stick with 17 people for the rest of my life, I don't care because we're following what God wants. Because He adds to the church daily. We do the work of the evangelist. But man, when people have a foundation of the Word, they know how to handle different situations. Look at Matthew chapter 7. This is a, a parable, if you will, and it's something that everybody knows. Verse 24, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, this is Jesus talking, okay? So whoever, you're a whoever, congratulations, and they do them. Okay, now there's a problem. You notice it didn't just say, whoever hears these. Do you know how many people have heard Scripture in life? Lots. Is he talking to born-again believers here or non-born-again believers here? Well, you've got to hear them and do them. You're not going to do the things of God if you're not part of the kingdom of God. So whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them. Okay, so now we've got both hearing. But one's going to do something with it, and one is not. That's the only distinction. They're going to be like a foolish man. They built his house on the sand. And the same rain came, and the same floods rose, and the same wind blew, and the same beat on that house. But the difference was, is this one fell, and great was his fall. And the only difference between those two is one did what Jesus said, and one did not. 
This is not a heaven and hell question. This is a, a am I going to build my foundation the way that Christ said to, or am I going to do it my way? I mean, Jesus, I know you said I should build it on the rock, but I really want to be by the beach. Beaches are awesome. There's ocean there. You can fish. You can walk out your backyard and get on a boat. We don't have much of that around here. The only thing you can walk out your backyard and do around here is pick corn. Not exactly fun. Yeah, well, maybe. Too many carbs, right? Okay, anyway. But what are we talking about? The Word of God. The foundation of the Word. Remember the definition that I gave of the enemy. When we add diabolos and methodos together, when we put those passages together, it's one who continually strikes and strikes again, beating against the walls of people's mind over and over until finally he breaks through and penetrates their thought processes. In other words, the rains came and the floods rode up and the winds blew and it kept beating on that house. What are we talking about here? That's the enemy. He's sending the rain. He's sending the flood. He's sending the wind, and he's going to keep pounding on you till he finally gets through. In Ephesians 4, it says this, verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Right? Some, not all. And it's okay if you're not in this list. Why did he do this? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying the body of Christ. Okay, so now we know why he gave them. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. They should be tossed to and fro and carried away with every what? Wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Why are we tossed to and fro? Did God really say? I've told you guys about the young man, um, well, he was older than I, I shouldn't call him a young man, but one night I met when I went to Ramah. He'd come out of a homosexual lifestyle and given his heart to Christ. This guy was seeing miracles happen. He would lay hands on people, watch a tumor sink out of a lady's neck that he prayed for. And I mean, he was progressing. Now, he was immature. He had a lot of growing to do, but my goodness, I mean, he was seeing stuff that guys I, don't, I haven't seen, you know, so praise the Lord. Good for him. And he was doing really well until he met a pastor who said, it's okay to be gay because he made you that way. And it totally train wrecked him. Got back into drugs, back into alcohol. Do you know the average homosexual male has over 500 partners in their lifetime? That's the average. And this guy was doing his part. It completely train wrecked him. Because a pastor showed up and said, listen. I mean, I know it says not homosexual, but that doesn't mean in a monogamous relationship. That means that, you know, you're out there with all these other guys. If you can find your soulmate, that's essentially what happened. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. The wind came, the rains came, the floods rose and beat against his mind until finally he had itching ears and somebody told him what he wanted to hear. Now, praise the Lord, he got things right. He's given his heart to Christ as a graduate of Ramah, you know, same school I went to. But it took years, and he had to go through all of that, and he shouldn't have had to go through all of that. So here's the thing, guys, is what was the difference in the two houses, or the two people? One did the word, one did not. And that's the question we've got to ask ourselves. I mean, you guys hear every Sunday, you hear from Janet in the morning, you hear from me after that, we hear on Wednesday nights, we get in the word, what are we doing about it? Because the difference here is not how much you knew, it's how much you did. Look at James 1. 
Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. So does he agree with what Jesus said? Well, he better. He's in the Bible. What happens if you do this? You deceive yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now this is very eloquent speak, right? So this is essentially, let's break this down, let's dumb this down a little bit, okay? This is me walking up to a mirror. Now, I know some of you guys don't have this blessing that I do, but every morning I get up, I look at that mirror, I said, you are one lucky mirror. You get to look at me every day. That's a joke. Stay with me. Tough crowd. Okay. So we get there, and it's like, oh, man, yeah, you're looking good. And you walk away. Oh, I forgot what I look like. Like, it's so dumb. It's like, how, how can this be? And what's he equating this to? You're either a doer of a word or you're a hearer of the word. We don't want to be hearers. We want to be people of action we got to be people that take the Word and do something with it. Because if we're just hearers, think about it this way. If you spend all your time in Golden Corral, right? It's a, it's a lovely place. Bless God. Right? There are two things I love about Golden Corral. One of which is the food. The other one is I'm one of the skinniest guys in the place, and I like that a lot. Okay? But it's amazing. And you go in there, and you eat there every day. And all you do is consume, and you consume, and you consume. What's going to happen? You're going to look a lot more like me. <laughs> right? I mean, guys, this is the whole thing, is that we can't just sit here and consume the Word. The point of this isn't your consumption. Do you realize that the second you give your heart to Christ, you're now in the ministry, and you have a job to do, and that is to share the gospel. But what happens? We give our heart to Christ, and we sit there and be like, well, I don't know enough. I don't know how to, how to talk to somebody. So we don't. And then maybe once in a while we'll trickle out and ask a question we don't know the answer to and we're too embarrassed so we don't ever do it again. You know what that's called? It's called pride. Because you're more concerned of being able to answer every question than just giving the truth of the gospel. We're consumers. It's our culture. Look at Hebrews 5. Verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Everybody listening? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the very first principles of the oracles of God. What is this saying? You need your ABCs and 123s. You ought to be teaching this stuff. You ought to be an advanced trigonometry. But no, we got to do the ABCs and 123s again. You ought to be teachers by now. But i got to give you this first principles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk, he's unskilled... In the word of righteousness. How does one gain skills in something, in an activity? You do it. You're never going to get good at football if you don't go play football. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Okay, now how do they get to full age? That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What is reasons of use? It's doing the Word. It's taking that sword of the Spirit. And when that thought comes in, did God really say? You're like, yeah, He said, and this is what He said. 
We're not tossed to and fro. We are now mature. We're on solid food because we are a doer of the Word. We don't just sit here and consume. We give out. You see Jesus say the exact same thing. What is the Word? The Word is the will of God, right? It's how we act. It's what we do. It's how we know the truth. It's all of these different things. Look what Jesus said. He's, the disciples are all confused because he didn't bring any food or anything like that. And Jesus throws this little nugget in John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He's acting upon the will of the Father. That's the meat. That's the meat. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Does that describe our church today? Not our church. Let me clarify. The church today. I'm not saying this stuff is going on. I'm saying that in the church world today, we got a bunch of people is what's in it for me. I don't want to go to that church because I don't like their music. I like the church. You know, they really do teach the Word, but I need something better for my kids. These are all excuses that, of why they can't come to a church, any church. I had a pastor friend of mine, um, big church, got a call and said, hey, we really enjoyed visiting your church, but uh, we're looking for a more liberal word church, so we're going to go somewhere else. And, and that was a new definition to him as well as me. He said, okay, he said, I understand completely. What does that even mean? Essentially, what it broke down to is they want to go party on Saturday night and not feel guilty about it on Sunday morning. So Paul is jumping all over the church in Corinth here. He said, listen, I can't speak to you as spiritual because you're acting like an idiot. That's my translation. Okay, I'm going to write one someday. I had to give you milk because you're a child. You ain't mature enough yet. You don't have your teeth in yet. You should be eating meat. You ought to be teachers, but you're not. I got to keep going back to the basic. I got to give your ABCs and one, two, three. I got to keep doing this over and over again because you're just not doing anything with it. You keep getting in the information, and you might even be able to regurgitate some of it. But until it changes your heart and changes your life, that it actually puts you into action, it's of no use. Why is the word important, and how important is this word? This is everything, guys. I want to read out of Timothy. I'm just going to kind of jump around here for a minute, because I want you to see what Paul is saying to him. And it's all based off the knowledge of the Scripture. So we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. It says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Where are they getting doctrine from? The teachings of Paul. Where did Paul get his doctrine from? Jesus himself. Spent, what, two or three years in the desert, Jesus teaching him. Plus the foundation of the Scriptures, which would be the Old Testament. So you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Not some other. No, it's okay. You can mix a little bit of that other stuff in there. No, no other doctrine. Don't give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Remember, the Jewish people love their genealogies. I am the descendant of. Most of us don't care about that. Most of us may not even know. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. You know, there's three different things there from which some 
having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. You just described many of our churches today. Because what do they do? They get up there, well, I know this is in the Bible, but I don't know if it's true. Some of you guys have heard that. I know this is what it says, but let me tell you what it means. Do you know why, what, what the, the homosexual activists are saying that Sodom and Gomorrah, why they were destroyed? It's not homosexuality. I know you're shocked to hear that. It's because they were inhospitable. Yeah. I mean, if they had been hospitable people, like when, when the angels showed up, they'd had a nice hors d'oeuvre plate set out and maybe some activities. Maybe a carnival would have been nice. You know, there are angels after all. They'd have been just fine. Yeah, y'all are laughing. It's sad, but it's true. So let's jump down to chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore I exert, first of all, all supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. In other words, if you don't think politics are important, this is what Paul's saying here. This is important. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Okay, well, he just said that this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, so you should get on board. Who desires all men to be saved. So he wants everybody, right? And to do what? Come to the knowledge of the truth. Or what's another way we could say that? The knowledge of God. Right? What is the enemy to come? All those things coming against the knowledge of God. For there is one God, and this is the knowledge itself, and one mediator between God and men, that man Christ Jesus. And what did he do? He gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed, Paul, a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. He wants all to come to the knowledge of God. So what's the enemy doing? The birds come in and take that word, that seed, lest they should believe and become saved. Let's jump to chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding them to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. I could go off on a rabbit trail with this. I'm not going to today. But the thing is, guys, what did they give heed to? Deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. And how did they come to that understanding? Did God really say? It all comes back to that. It all comes back to the same thing. It's that same method. He gets in there and they start believing their words over the word of God. You see, we have to be founded in something. Let's jump down to verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Okay? What is the doctrine? The teachings of Paul, the foundation of Scripture. Go back to verse, or let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Why don't they need to be ashamed? Because they're rightly dividing the word of truth. That means there's a wrong way to do it, correct? What is the right way? We allow that scripture to interpret scripture. It's not me putting my opinion on it, putting my spin on it. It's what does the word say? I try to, I, I, sometimes I miss it, but anytime I'm giving you my opinion, I always try to tell you, guys, this is what I think, 
But I could be wrong. I always try to do that. I know sometimes I forget about that. But I do try. Because we've got to be skilled and approved by God. And why would we be ashamed if we are rightly dividing the word of truth? I mean, we're a church that believes in the gifts and the spirits and operations today. Why would we be ashamed of that if we've got the word on our side? The reason that I believe that healing is around today and still happens is not because I've seen people healed. It's because the Bible says that that's exactly what's going to happen. That believers lay hands on the sick and they recover. I don't need to see anybody healed to know what the Word says and to stand on it and to see that Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 53 in Matthew chapter 8, that He preached the Word and He healed all who were sick, that He might fulfill that by His stripes we are healed. You guys, this is why we believe this. Verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. You know what He just described here? A lot of sermons. And their message will spread like cancer. Now watch what he does here. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past. Not the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of the saints, the blowing of the trumpet. And they overthrow the faith of some. What did Paul just do here? He just called them out by name. Do you know how many times through the years that I've had people say, you really should not use their name? It's like, why on earth not? I want you to know exactly who I'm talking about. That doesn't mean I don't love them. And that doesn't mean there can't be repentance. But when you stray from the Word, I am not interested. I'm just not. And I'm not going to play games. I will call people out by names if they're up there saying something that is completely contrary to Scripture. Especially on a major thing. And he, these guys are saying, hey guys, sorry, you missed it. You missed the rapture. Sorry, thanks for playing, do not pass go, do not collect $200, game over. And what is the result of that? They overthrew the faith of some. In other words, like, man, I missed it, I'm done, I'm done, I'm just not going to play the game anymore. Look at verse 24, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, be patient, and humility correcting those who are in opposition, like Hymenaeus and Philetus. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, and He will if they repent, so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by Him to do His will. You remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? You are of your father, the devil. They were the thief. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you might have life. The thief is not the devil. The thief is the devil's workers. They're his father. His children were the ones that were the thief. They were stealing. They were overthrowing the faith of some. They were standing in the face of what God was trying to do. And they'd been taken captive by him to do his will. Boy, if only the church would be taken captive by God to do his will. Imagine the difference that we can make in this world. If God was truly in control of what we say and what we do, if he owned our checkbooks, what could we do? You know, 1.8% is the average tithe of a person's income. 1.8% in this country. That's the national statistic. They give 1.8%. What is a tithe? And they call it tithe, but what is tithe? It means 10. Well, I know that's what you said, but apparently, God, you were doing common core math. It really works out to 1.8. And this isn't about money. I'm not talking about money. Like, guys, we have a faithful giving church. It's just a whole principle here. It's like, God, this is what you've said that we should do. 
but I don't want to do that. I don't like that. Did you really say that? I mean, I know that's what you said, but let me tell you what you meant. I'm just going to give what I want, right? And we could do that with anything. Well, God, I know you said I'm supposed to go in all the world and preach the gospel, but my neighbors are weird, and they really deserve to go to hell, so I'm just going to let them, right? Or that guy blows all his leaves into my yard every fall. Right? That's the unpardonable sin. That's why we act. Let's jump chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be, okay, here we go. They're lovers of themselves. That's everybody. They're lovers of money. Thank you, America. They're boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, and lo- lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power, and from such you should turn, or such people turn away. I'm going to read that again. Because they're lovers of themselves, they're lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemer, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. And who is Paul describing to Timothy? The people in his church. This isn't the people of the world. This is the people in the church. Do without wealth is the whole of the law. God, I know this is what you said, but I'm going to be like, like I'm just going to, I'm going to give a little bit. I'm not going to give all. God, I'll give you a little bit of my time. I'll put in my time on Sundays, but you know, I got other things to do. I'll be here as long as there's not an 11 a.m. kickoff for the Chiefs, right? Which, guys, why would you put yourself through that? I mean, really. I have no dog in that fight. I don't care about the NFL. All I know is Frost is back, baby. That's all I know, okay? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen from Paul? Thank you, Paul. Anyway. Yeah, he's all I got. My comrade in arms. But what are we talking about? We're talking about people. We have a form of godliness. Look at me. Look what I do. I go to church. I pray. I give. I do good things. But we deny the power. What is the power of God? It is not what makes you fall down. It's not even just the power that heals. It is the power to change one's heart. Only God can do that. You can modify your behavior, but you can never bring something dead to life. Only God can do that. We deny that's power when we do not do the word and do the things of God. We will look at somebody and say, they are a lost cause. They are too far gone. We can't do anything for them. And you're right. We can't. But you know, sometimes when you preach the gospel to people, they'll receive it. And God can change that heart. The the part we forget is we all deserve hell. The only thing that separates us from anybody else is that we've made Jesus our Lord and Savior. That's it. And it's His work. So why would we be haughty? Why would we be boasting? I mean, I was joking with Stan the other day. You guys remember that limb that fell down? Out front, the tree, a couple of Stan was out there cutting it all up and stuff. I didn't know he was out there, and somebody shows up, and I look out, and he's out there, and I walked up there. He had already called all of it off but three logs, and I carried two of those logs. And I looked at him, and I said, I get 50% credit for this, right? But what do I be doing? I'd be taking credit for his work. He did it all. He was sweating like a dog, right? I was sitting in here. It was air conditioned. It was all right. I was drinking coffee. It's wonderful. This is what we do with God. Jesus, I know this is what you did, and you paid the price for me, all, all this other stuff, but I want people to see me and see what I've done. 
Now look, let's go on, verse 6. For of this sort are those who creep into household and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs was also. Chapter 3, verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned. This is Paul to Timothy. And been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. What's he talking about here? The foundation of the Old Testament. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He just said that the Old Testament can make us wise for salvation. I thought that was a New Testament thing. The New Testament just happens to record when we see it. The Old Testament tells us exactly how we do it. It's the knowledge of the Word that makes you wise for salvation. Verse 16, all Scripture, does I say some? It doesn't, does it? Is given by inspiration of whom? God. Can we start acting like God spoke this? Like these are the words of God? Can we start acting like that? Like, the things that he says belongs to us actually belong to us because he said so? And can we act like the things that he said that we need to be doing are things that we need to be doing because he said so? It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if you are not grounded in the Word and being a doer of the Word, did He just call us incomplete? He absolutely did. It's not how we act. We just go through the motions. Chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living from the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the Word. He didn't say preach sermons that make you feel good. He says preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. He says, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure affliction, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Guys, we all have a ministry. We ought to be fulfilling it. You see, he said, preach the word. you got to convince, rebuke, exhort, and you got to do it with long suffering. Be patient and always be teaching. And we talked about how these people, these people that have been led astray by the enemy coming in and putting thoughts in their head, have heaped up for themselves teachers because now you're telling me what I want to hear. You're telling me how I can have more money. You're telling me how my marriage can be better. You're telling me how great I am. We might as well change the song as how great I am. Right? I exalt me. I mean, good Lord. That's what we do. And it's that we don't put our eyes on Him. Today's worship music has more to do with us than it does Him. We've lost the heart of what Christ has done. So they, because they're itching ears, they're going to turn away from the truth. And the reason this happens is because we have no foundation. We hear an idea. We read a book. Even if it's by somebody we know and love and trust and like. Do you realize that those people can be off? Right? 
you realize that I'm the only one that can't be? That's funny, right? Okay. All right. You guys were getting too serious on me. Guys, if it doesn't line up with Scripture, throw it out. Now, not just because you previously held this idea, or I think this is what it means. What should we do in that point? If I say something that goes against something that you previously held as a truth, then you do what Acts 17.11 does. That you take that word in, and you go and search the Scriptures to see if that thing is true. Because you know what? You might be wrong. You know what else? I might be wrong. I've had people come into my office through many years. I've always, I've, for as long as I have been in ministry, I've always said, if you disagree with something I say, something I'm teaching, some doctrine I'm holding to, you are welcome to come into my office anytime, but bring your Bible. Don't tell me you don't like it because you don't like it. Come tell me why I'm wrong. Now, more often than not, the reason that they thought I was wrong is because I don't always say things eloquently, you know, so they misunderstood what I was going. That, that happens. And, or it gets down to it that um, they, the words that I use meant something different to them. And we always leave in agreement. Now, there's, there's been things that I've, I've been wrong on through the years. Don't get me wrong. And I'm always willing to listen. But it's because of what the Bible says, not because you don't like it. Not because anybody doesn't like it. I got asked to do a Mormon funeral about a year or so ago. And they, the, the funeral director says, are you comfortable doing that? And I'm like, it's not me you've got to worry about. It's them. Are they comfortable having me do that? Because I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to browbeat them, but I'm not going to sugarcoat what the gospel is, and we're going to stick with that. You see, we're not grounded in something. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. That's the good and the bad. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If that's the will of God, should we be rejoicing always? Should we be praying without ceasing? And should everything be given thanks if that's the will of God? Yep. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies and test all things. And hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. What do you think all things mean? When you break that down in the Greek, here's what all things means. It's all things. Like, not some things. That's the opposite of all things. All things means all. I know this is really deep stuff, right? All things mean we test all things. We test all teachings. We test all experiences. But what do we test them against? the Word. That's it. Not my opinion. Do you guys realize that growing up in a charismatic church, I saw things that I didn't like? You better believe it. It made me uncomfortable. You also realize that sometimes those things were in the Word? So what does that make my uncomfortability? Who cares? Right? Who cares if I don't like it? Do you guys realize that sometimes when I go to churches, they, they do music I don't like? Who cares? You see, we test all things, and we hold fast to what is good. What did he just say? You don't have to agree with everything, but you take the truth that lines up with the Scripture. This is why we are so screwed up in the church today. is because we just take all things. We don't test all things. We take, we're baby birds. we got our mouth open. Just jam whatever you want in there. We've lost sight of rightly dividing the word of truth. And the reason that is is because we're not taught it. We are not taught how to use, for, here it is a big fancy term, to exegete scripture. That means that we allow scripture 
to interpret Scripture. What we do in America today is we eisegete Scripture, which means we, I have this belief, let me go find a few verses that, that back it up. Like, I know pastors that will take a movie clip and build a sermon around it. I have nothing against movie clips. But how about we start with Scripture? And if we happen to find a clip that goes along with it, okay, good. But that's how they do it. Why? Because it's entertaining. It keeps you here. And their concern is keeping you here. Even if you're lost. We've got to get past that. We've got to be people of the Word. How can we combat what the enemy brings to us when that wind comes and that rain comes and those floods rise up? How can we combat that? We do exactly what Jesus said. We quote the Word, Matthew 4. So when He comes and says, did God really say? Open this thing up. It's like, well, as a matter of fact, he did. Let me show you right where he said it. It's right there. We cannot be tossed to and fro. We have got to get past that. If we are going to make a difference in this world, we have to be grounded in what we believe and not just what we believe, but why we believe it. That's called discipleship, folks. And it's so crucial. Now, I love you guys, and I know you guys. Uh, we are lovers of the Word here. We are lovers of the Spirit here. We love the things of God. There's no question about that. But it is time that we take it to another level. It is time that we dig in deeper, and we become students of the Word. And we dig into this thing, and when somebody comes up and says, you know what, I believe so-and-so and so-and-so and whatever, you're like, well, hold on. Let me show you why that may not be right. With all long suffering, we continue to teach and stand on the wall.